If you would, turn with me in your Bibles today to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew, chapter 13. I'm reading verses 40 through 42, and we speak on the subject today in our series of messages, which I have entitled since the series began, Death and the Hereafter. I had not planned to bring as extensive a number of messages in this series, but now that we are on it, we're going to bring it all the way through and complete it. And today's message is entitled, Hell Compared to a Furnace of Fire. Hell Compared to a Furnace of Fire. Before we read, a word of introduction to you. The text that we're reading is spoken by the founder of the Christian faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Father's design that men come to the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men or revealed to men that God will approach a fallen sinner apart through the name of Jesus Christ. That makes Christianity the exclusive religion. The other religions of the world are not to be put on the same plane as Christianity. They're false. And that is something that God has revealed in the Bible. It is not the narrow inclusiveness of this particular proponent of Christianity. There is none beside Jesus Christ. No one is to even be put on the same standing with Christ, for God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand. He did no other religious leader that. So whatever Christ teaches, that is the final authority. And Jesus said, if any man is ashamed of me and my teachings, I'll be ashamed of him at my coming. So the issue today in the current church on this doctrine of hell is an either-or issue. This is one that is not negotiable. This is one in which that The truthfulness of Jesus Christ and Christianity stands or falls. If a person rejects the doctrine of hell, then have enough honesty to reject Christianity. Don't call yourself a Christian and be ashamed of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Go out into agnosticism or deism or some other religion, but do not stay within the framework of Christianity and deny what Christ clearly taught in the Word of God. Now, that's a lone voice in the wilderness in today's American contemporary Christian scene. But it's the voice that I have to take, or else turn in my ordination papers and go eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow I die. For it is the teaching of God's Word. Matthew chapter 13, verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, after examining the teachings in the past weeks on death, the resurrection, and the judgment, we now come to examine the destiny of the wicked 
in the place and state known as hell. Hell is revealed in the Bible as a place of fiery tormented torment prepared for the condemned. Whether the fire is physical or figurative has long been a source of debate within the framework of the Christian church, debate among conservative scholars. The liberals deny hell in reality, whether that it is physical or even as considered figurative. But there are conservative Bible scholars which are not in agreement as to whether that the fire that the Bible depicts is a physical flame or whether that it is an expression, an analogy, used in figurative language to describe the horrible torments of hell. But this much is certain. The least torment in hell exceeds the greatest that can be described here on earth. Just as the least joy in heaven surpasses the greatest comfort that anyone can imagine here on earth. I have not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. The least joy in heaven is greater than the greatest joy that you can ever imagine here in this life. And folks, the greatest torment that you can possibly think of that could be inflicted in this life is the least torment of what takes place in hell. You can't even begin to imagine the depths of the torment that God has prepared for those who mock him, his ways, his word, and his son. Our text brings out that in the end of the world, when Christ returns, that the tares described as the wicked, shall be gathered and burned in the fire. That is, just as that which is of no value in a harvest is collected and burned and the wheat is put into good use, so the tares are burned in a fire. And the analogy is that when the Son of Man sends forth his angels they shall gather out of his domain, his kingdom, all things that offend and them that do iniquity, and shall cast them, people now, which are likened unto the tares, into a furnace of fire. And that it is not just a temporal thing of annihilation, for in that place and state there is torment, there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. And once this has been removed, or these individuals separated, then in verse 43 our Lord says, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Only some have the capacity to receive what we're about to bring today. And if you've got ears to hear, you thank God for it, because most today are not given the capacity to receive a message of this severity 
and this sobriety. When we compare the analogy as we have with all the other subjects in this series on death, you recall the Bible likens death unto a sleep, unto a rest, unto a departure. The Bible likens the resurrection as a waking out of a sleep, as of the beginning of a new morning, as of a marriage or a wedding ceremony, as of a coronation day, and the Bible likens the judgment, as we looked at last week, as having a day in court where the, all men will be tried. Now, the Bible also gives us an analogy of something that we can relate to in the realm of the physical, the here and now, to give us a little foretaste of what the unseen world lies ahead. And in this case, this morning, we look not at heaven, which we'll look at in a week or so, and paradise for the redeemed, but we must look at the destiny for those who die, impenitent and rejecting Christ as their Lord and Savior. What place do they go to? Now, let me give you some analogies as we work our way through this thought. As a furnace of fire, in this life, can be a place of torment, hell is a place of torment prepared for the wicked who die in their sins. There have been cases in human history in which that fiery furnaces have been built to inflict punishment and torment upon human beings. And there have been instances in which fire has been used to torture other people. And probably in your thinking and mine, there is no other element that we can relate to in this life that we could think of that could bring so much torment and inflicted pain than to have our bodies exposed to a burning flame. And not just for a moment, but be made to held up against that flame moment after moment after moment and never letting up. There was an example in the Bible of a fiery furnace. Do you recall it? Let's go back to the book of Daniel chapter 3 and we'll see that in this physical life, fiery furnaces have been used to punish lawbreakers. Daniel chapter 3, if you would, let me locate it here, Ezekiel, the prophet, and then Daniel. I'll begin reading in verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a what? A burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready at that what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbuck, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same iron to the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Do you see how severe this furnace is? No one can escape this. They can't survive it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And I would be too. <laughs> I'd be very careful how I answered. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We're set on this matter. Our God's able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, that's not going to change our commitment unto him. We can only worship him. We cannot worship you. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace, one seven times more than it was wont or accustomed to be heated. As the man's rage increases, he says, heat that thing up seven times hotter. For you see, he viewed himself as a god, and his laws were being challenged. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then those men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and their other garments and were cast to the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is, the army... Military men were consumed as they just went up to the furnace to throw them in. The flame was so hot they were consumed. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and said, spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the what? Son of God. I want you to know here, in human history, it is recorded in the Bible of which Jesus places his approval upon as being accurate. That there were some people who survived the fiery flames of a furnace. God is able to sustain a human body in the midst of flames. His natural laws is such that it would be consumed, but God is able to sustain natural laws and to allow the flame to continue to burn, but the body not be consumed. That's happened already in history. It'll happen again throughout all eternity for those who die rejecting Christ. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, the governors, the captains, the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed. Neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed upon them. What a scene. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and hath changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I will make a decree to every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here we have an account of three Hebrew children who worshipped the one true God of heaven and earth, and they were commanded by a Gentile king to worship his golden image which he has set up representing himself. That was idolatry. The revelation of God to the Hebrews was very clear. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That was clear. So they were either have to renounce their God, or else they've got to stand by the one true God and give their lives. And folks, people have done that throughout history, Old Testament and New Testament history as well. They're called the martyrs. And when it comes right down to it, if a child of God is forced to renounce his God, if he's a true child of God, he cannot do it. He must even give his life if God so calls upon him to do so. But God delivered these three because he sent his Son to the midst of that fire. And the Son of God, the one who spake and the worlds came into existence, is the one who started the flames. Not some ignorant man in a cave somewhere discovering fire. God is the originator of fire. And the Son of God is the one who controls all the laws of creation. The Son of God is the one who combined the atoms. He's the one which can split the atom. And one day he will split it. And this whole earth and heavens will go up in flames. Second Peter chapter 3. But he's the one who combines hydrogen and oxygen to make this marvelous drink that I have here in my right hand called water. He's also the one who can separate those elements and hydrogen can blow up the world in which that we live. The Son of God is the one who controls the elements and how they are to be directed. Folks, if you can relate that as a furnace of fire can be formed as a place of punishment and torment in history and has been, so God has prepared a place for the devil and his angels and the sons of Adam's race who die impenitent and forever they shall spend their torment in that place. Look in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and verse 8. Revelation, chapter 21, 
and verse 8. John, as he closes the New Testament canon of scriptures, has just been given a wonderful vision of the new heavens and the new earth. And in the midst of all of that glorious scene, where there's no sin, there's no crying, there's no sorrow, as he describes in verse 4, that God wipes away all tears from the eyes of his people, the Holy Spirit gives John another vision. And here it is, verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Folks, that's in the Bible just as the new heaven and new earth in the Bible. Do you know that Jesus spoke far, far, far more about the torments of hell than he did about the pleasures of heaven? Read your book and you'll see that that's true. He forever warned of individuals that God has prepared a place of torment for those who defy him by living in sin and dying impenitent without a Savior's blood to cleanse them from that sin. Secondly, hell as it is compared to a furnace of fire, that as a furnace of fire is a horrifying thought for those about to be cast into it, so hell is a horrible thing for the wicked to think about. That's why the wicked don't want to think about this today. Hmm? All right, Bill? And that's why you can't get multitudes of professing Christians to come into a church that preaches the doctrine of hell. Something's wrong there. Could it be possible they're not Christian? Very, very possible and highly probable. Because the Spirit of God, when he takes the things of Christ, he reveals them unto his people. He writes their laws. God's laws upon their heart. And this is one of the revelations that God has made known in his word. And when God regenerates a person, he writes that revelation within them where that they submit and subscribe to the teachings of the book. And you get people that rebel against the teachings of the book and say, I don't care if it's in the Bible, I don't believe it, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that. No, you're not a Christian. No, you're not. Christians subscribe to what the Spirit of God puts in them. And he puts only in them what he has recorded in the book. You see, I don't have a great deal of problem with people who say to me, Well, Pastor, I don't agree with you on that. Uh, I don't understand the Bible that way. And will study it, or they think that they know what's in the Bible. I can give a person the benefit of the doubt in that area. But what I can't give a person the benefit of the doubt is that, preacher, I see that is in the Bible, but I won't believe it. That's a mark of reprobation of God passing over. For you to know that the Bible teaches something and then say, I don't care what it says, I'm not going to believe it. 
It's an evidence that you're a stranger to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit who writes God's revelation internally upon the heart. These are hard things we're talking about. How many of you would want to go to, uh, where is it? Is it Mobile here in Alabama? Where, where is the executions held, carried out? Mobile? Admore. All right. How many of you would volunteer to go and watch the uh, execution of a criminal in the electric chair? Would you want to do that? I wouldn't. And yet the laws of our country set that in force. And those laws are based upon God's laws. God tells what to do with murderers. They're to be put to death. Under the Old Testament law, they were to be stoned. How would you like to take your wife and kids outside the camp of Israel and watch an individual executed? That's what they required. That's what God required. Read your Bible. He even required in that law for disobedient, rebellious children that would not submit to the authority of their parents to be taken by the elders of Israel outside the camp and the rulers and the people watch as the elders stone them to death. Now, folks, that's in the Bible. That's the God whom you came here to worship today. If you say, I can't worship a God like that, then the God you're worshiping is not the God of the Bible. And that's the God you're going to stand before one day and give an account and bow the knee to. Oh, yes. It would make me cringe to have to watch a person's body bolt and jump in the electric chair. My flesh recoils at such a scene as that. But God's Word has given us a scene far more horrible than just the moment, the minute or two or three that it takes for a human heart to stop beating as an electric current passes through it. There's a far more horrifying scene given to us in the Bible. And that's why people don't want to think about these things. They don't like to think upon the horrifying thought of about to be cast in. Can you visualize yourself on death row? The chaplain comes and the warden comes and they put a blindfold on you and they lead you out of that cell down to a room and strap you in a chair and run thousands of bolts through your body. Can you visualize what is going through your mind as you are contemplating what your destiny is? Folks, my master and the master who's seated at the right hand of God said, Don't you fear those who can kill the body. You fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Jesus' teaching. God is the executioner, as we saw here in last sermon, last week's sermon. Bind them hand and feet. Christ, the Lamb, the one who was born in Bethlehem's manger. The little baby, the one who is now risen from the dead and seated at the right hand, says to the angels, bind them hand and feet and cast them into utter darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. 
Just as it is a horrifying thought for a person to contemplate about to be cast into a fiery furnace in this life and the pain would be inflicted, they could recognize that that pain would only be for a short period of time and it would be over. Did you recall in our reading in the text in Daniel how quickly the heat consumed the guards? They didn't have time to get away. It was so quick. They died just like that. But hell, oh, the horrifying thought of hell. People are not going to be consumed there. They're going to live on and on and on. What a horrible thing. Folks, if you're here and you're not a Christian today, may God give you ears to hear what we're saying. And if you think that this is a horrible thing we're talking about, I want to show you one thing that's more horrible than that, and that's what happened upon the cross of Calvary when God bruised his Son in the place of sinners. If God saw necessary to put his own Son to death in order to spare me from hell, then the deliverance commensurate with the penalty. A horrible thing. Do you look at the cross and see the horrors of hell being extracted there? Folks, that was an execution. The Romans thought they were doing it. The Jews and the Sanhedrin had authorized it. The Bible says that they were but gathered together to do what thy hand and purpose before determined to be done. God extracted my hell, my suffering, out of his Son upon that cross, for the wages of sin is death. That's why I love that old rugged cross, Brother Howard. It's the emblem of suffering and shame. And I'll cling to it, Brother Damon. I'll cling to it because that's my hope of acceptance. All other ground is sinking sand. The greatest American theologian that has ever been as agreed by most is Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon one day to his church, dark auditorium, Poor eyesight. Mr. Edwards, as his custom was, generally read his sermons. He wrote them out. He didn't preach extemporaneously like I'm doing to you this morning. He prepared each sentence, wrote it out. Today, in most circles, that would be viewed as an extremely boring thing to listen to. Poor way to communicate. And the historical record was that Mr. Edwards leaned right over the pulpit and the, the lights were so dim that he would have to just hold his eyes right over his manuscript and he read. With no dramatics, no gifts of oration, a sermon which he entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In that sermon, among many illustrations, he likened men outside of Christ as spiders on a web held by God over a flame. And that the only thing that was keeping men out of the flame was the good purpose and will of God. But God could at any time let go 
and men drop into hell. He read that sermon. And the record is that the people began to moan and groan as he read it. And that before the sermon was over, people in that church building were clinging to the pillars of the auditorium that held up the roof, crying out for God not to open up the ground lest they fall into hell. From a prepared red sermon sprang the Great Awakening. And God's Spirit blowed upon that church that day and spread throughout that community and led to the first Great Awakening we had in the American colonies. And it was out of those colonies that men were converted that were the ones who helped formulate the constitution of this great country in which that we live. Folks, the freedoms that you are partaking of here today can be traced back to that sermon that Edwards spoke there in Northampton. And yet those very freedoms are being taken away from us today by people who no longer believe in what Edwards believed in and by people who profess to represent Jesus Christ. It has, has been pointed out this past week at the Southern Baptist Founders Conference by Pastor Martin Holt from South Africa, it has been a characteristic of church history and biblical history that whenever God's Spirit would blow upon a group or upon a culture, invariably the doctrine of eternal punishment would be one of the main themes that God would use to convert sinners. I'm not speaking on this today to try to just to work on your emotions, but folks, this is a biblical basis for motivating people to come to Jesus Christ. Flee from the what? From the wrath to come. Flee. Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade them. We urge them to come to Christ. Thirdly, as no greater torments can be devised than a furnace of fire, so no greater torment can be imagined than hell. No greater torment can be imagined in hell. Turn to Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19. Once again, our Master Himself records this. And I keep repeating this theme as it comes through my mind today. Those who have looked into Christianity and have rejected it, who have examined it intellectually, invariably say, they reject it because of its teachings. But they're honest enough to acknowledge that Christianity teaches, among other things, the doctrine of hell. Oh, it would be that our churches today would have enough intellectual honesty to acknowledge that you cannot be a Christian and reject this doctrine. Get out of the church. That's where the intellectuals have gone. Those who are professors in the schools and on the campuses, why do they not receive this? Because they know the Bible teaches it. They won't debate that. 
They know the Bible teaches it, and yet there are people who profess to name the name of Christ who will say, no, it doesn't. Luke chapter 16, Jesus states, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Came to pass the beggar died, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell. He lift up his eyes, being in what? Hmm? Torment. Torment. That's Jesus. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Can you think of any greater torment that can be described that a man cries out for one drop of water to cool and relieve his torment, and even that is declined? I can't think of anything worse. That's what Jesus described hell as being. Fourthly, while a furnace of fire soon puts an end to those who are thrown into it. The torments of hell shall have no end. Again, we refer back to the guards who were so quickly consumed by the intensity of the flame that they perished just like that, incinerated in the presence of the heat. But hell shall have no end. Mark the ninth chapter. Verse 42, the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, verse 42. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be what? Quenched. Can't put it out. Where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off, for it's better to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, for it's better for thee to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You see why ministers avoid this subject? If I had the power, which I don't, to enforce this scene before you the way that you would have to be forced to view an execution in our state here, it might give us a little glimpse of what lies beyond death and the judgment. Jesus the fire never quenched. The worm dieth not. The worm, which most Bible scholars believe, refers to the conscience of man. Where the conscience is never at ease. Because the fires never cease. Lastly, while a furnace of fire may have its heat abated and extinguished, hell's torment shall never be lessened or shortened. Can those of you 
recall here about how long ago? Six months when you saw those scenes on television of the oil wells in Kuwait burning. I saw one magazine, Newsweek, or one of those uh, monthly publications that the headline was The Fires of Hell. Hundreds of oil well fires burning throughout that country. Some predicted it would be as much as six or seven years before those fires could be extinguished. Got a hold of Red Adair and his famous team and some others. And however intense those flames were, they succeeded in extinguishing them and capping them and putting them out. Folks, the fires of hell shall never be lessened in their intensity. You see, there's a thought that if you fell against a hot stove and your flesh was feeling the intensity of it, there could be a ray of hope. Well, it'll either burn off or the fire will go out and I'll get some relief. Not so for those in hell. No lessening of the suffering from the first moment that they partake of it. And not only will it never be lessened, it will next of all never be shortened. Add the most intense suffering that you can think of as the flames of a fire consuming you. And then add eternity to that. That's hell. That's hell. I didn't pick this analogy. God did. And I'll give you pre-warning. We're going to preach again next Sunday, only, only it's not going to be on the fire. It's going to be in utter darkness, for that's the other analogy that God gives of hell before we get to the new heaven and new earth for God's people. I didn't pick this analogy. God, in his infinite wisdom, chose it and put it in his revelation. And says it is a notable, justifiable means for you to flee the wrath which is to come and come to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him in the full pardon of sin. Where do you stand today before God? If your heart stops beating this very moment, will that be all there is to it? Or have you been given some false hope, fostered by satanic delusion, that you're going to go through some reincarnation process and come back in a better life out here? Or have you been given the idea that when you die, you die like a dog, that's all there is, there is no more? Or have you been given the idea that God is such a God of love that he could never judge anybody? If you take the true biblical character of God, He is of inflexible, unbendable holiness. And every broken law that He has labeled that is His, He shall extract justice from it. And because men have sinned against an infinite God, they are called upon to suffer infinite punishment. On and on and on and on and on. 
Several years ago, I brought a series of some ten messages on hell to my church in southwest Missouri. Ten consecutive Sundays on this one subject. And folks, I must acknowledge before you and before my God that there were times in the preparations for those messages and the deliverance of those messages that I wanted to get out of my study and run through the field screaming and pulling my hair out. And I say that not to demonstrate dramatic oratorical effect. You dwell on this for ten consecutive weeks, day in and day out, in studying and accumulating what the Bible has to say on this subject, and it's foremost, and preach the whole counsel of God. And I tell you, the only thing that regained, enabled me to retain my sanity was an old rugged cross outside of Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and free. I'm glad that I'm the proclaimer of good news, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Let's stand together today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it has pleased you in the salvation of lost sinners to, before you ever comfort to bring them to a fearful awareness of their destiny. I pray you give some here even today ears to hear. This not be something that just they hear and then run back into the world and get their minds on something else. I pray if any are here today and know not your Son and the free pardon of sin, this be pressed deep within their inner being, to where that all the pleasures of the world cannot get their minds off of this until they are given peace in the heart by fleeing to the city of refuge where Jesus sits and welcomes them. May they come to Christ even today. Before the sun sets this day and darkness covers the earth, may you bring them to saving faith in Christ. May they have the peace that only you can give. But if there are those here who have some type of a deluded peace, a false peace, and having never truly trusted in Christ, I pray that you make them miserable. I pray that you give them a tremendous discomfort that they cannot rest until they find the Prince of Rest. And come to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.